The first photo of a forming planet has been captured. What does it mean? Astrophysicist Jeff Zwerink breaks it down on Science News Flash. Welcome to Reasons to Believe Science News Flash podcast, a look behind the headlines. This is Joe Aguirre with Dr. Jeff Zwerink, UCLA researcher, author of Who's Afraid of the Multiverse, on March 1st, 2013. All right, Jeff, what have scientists discovered? Well, I think this is a, a good place to just kind of start out and say what comes up in the popular headlines is a little bit of an overstatement compared to what's in the paper. And I thought it'd just be worth reading the two. It's, I was reading in Yahoo News. It says, first photo of alien planet forming, snapped by telescope. All right. The equivalent line in the paper is, uh, we discussed different explanations for the observed morphology among ongoing planet form." among which ongoing planet formation is a tempting but yet unproven one. Is that the headline? So that, that, well, that's uh, <laughs> the equivalent statement in the paper. So it, you know, okay. all that to say is that uh, what scientifically speaking, what they found is something that is interesting and indicative. It fits our planetary formation models, but it's not a, oh, here we found the first stages of planet formation. And all so right. with that caveat, um, just kind of bear in mind that what's interesting about this is the fact that we're even able to begin investigating this era or the epoch of planetary formation. Because when you look at it on a cosmological perspective, um, universe is 14 billion years old, um, solar systems 5 billion years old. Uh, you know, okay, five, four point six five five if you okay. want to be technical, but let's just <laughs> say 5 billion. Um, that when we look at things, typically we're looking at stuff on billions of year time scales. And so the fact that we're finding something that go, that happens on a few million year time scales is pretty remarkable. Mm. And what they've found is, uh, they used a particular telescope to look at an object. Um, you know, it's one of these uh, stars with a nice name. If I can find it, it's mm. HD 169142. Right. Um, it's I know it's right on the top of your tongue there. <laughs> um, but it was, it was, it was in one of these catalogs. And it has a, a disk of material around it that we've been able to see. But they were using a large telescope. It's an eight-meter telescope, ground-based telescope with adaptive optics to and a coronagraph to see if they could image the disk um, of material that was around the star. And part of the problem with the, doing this or the technical challenge of doing this is that the the star tends to be much, much brighter than the disk material around. In fact, that's one of the problems in direct detection of planets is that the planet tends to be about a, anywhere from a million to a billion times dimmer than the star itself. Mm, hard and to so, detect. Then. So it's very difficult to detect, yes. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, but using the adaptive optics, using the coronagraph, what they can do is block out the light from the star. Um, it tends to bleed out a little bit, and so that poses some difficulties. But then you use adaptive of optics that sharpens things up so that everything stays more concentrated what they found is that in this particular star that there is a uh, kind of this range or region of uh, the disk that seems depleted about 40 to 70 astronomical units so that's 40 to 70 times the distance from the earth to the sun in our solar system that's about the orbit of pluto uh, pluto i think is 39 astronomical units so it's a little bit further out than that right. but what they find on either side of that disk is uh, an, a rings of enhanced material that look like they're in the in these stages of planet formation and why that's, what do you mean by that well you you look at the image and there's a, there's a bright ring of material inside this 
uh, depleted region. There's a ring of material just outside this region. And when we look at how our planetary formation models happen, there are, you know, there's the sun or the gas cloud collapses, the sun forms in the center, but there's this disk of material that forms. It's just due to angular momentum. You end up with this disk of material. Um, conserving angular momentum. And then the in different regions of that disk, there are going to be the planet formation process will grow and it will end up causing these these rings of material that eventually coalesce through a couple of different processes to form the planets themselves. So this looks like we're finding the very early or one of the very early stages of that. And that's significant because in this star, we're looking at this star that's somewhere between one and 12 million years old. And the formation of planets occurs on the 1 to 10 million year time scale. So we're right in that range where we expect to see this. We see the rings like we would expect. And so it's kind of intriguing that we may be seeing the first – the earliest stages yet that we've ever seen of planet formation. Mm. And that's an exciting prospect. All right. OK. What are the implications that you draw from this then? Well, a couple of implications. One is that one of the challenges often uh, leveled against kind of an old Earth model – uh, you know, in terms of, oh, we don't see stars forming, we don't see planets forming, all we see is death, is part of the difficulty in responding to that is that the formation timescales or the timescales of the objects they're looking at are few millions of years. And so we're not going to be around long enough to see all that happen. So how you approach that is you find images at different points. You know, granted, you're going to have to be looking at different different objects. But the more you can map out that whole process – and piece it together to make a puzzle, that gives uh, a lot of credence to the idea that, okay, we've got this whole process down correctly. The fact that we're able to see things this early in the formation stage is pretty remarkable. Hmm. And so, again, it just adds one more piece of evidence that, yeah, we do have a basic understanding of how star formation and planetary formation happens. The other aspect is that the better we under, the more we can image this era of planet formation, the better we can make our models of planetary formation. So it allows us to put more details and more observational constraints into our models, which uh, the more realistic our models are, these simulations, if you will, the, the more implications we can draw out. And those have always had apologetic significance because that's where we see the design and, and other aspects of that. Uh, that's one place where we see that show up. And so it's going to give us tools to better understand the early era of planet formation, uh, and I expect that we're going to see more evidence of fine-tuning and design come out of that. Mm. Uh, a question. I, I think you said that this was a, uh, a direct detection, a f- yes. photo of some kind. Uh, what is the difference between that and what has been the case thus far? Because haven't we had uh, – I think you call them simulations of planetary formation. Right. Is that correct? Well, a simulation is run on a computer, so it doesn't yeah. have any sort of observational data – associated with it. And so what what you do to make a simulation is you say let's take the best known physics that we can run run our simulation and see what results. Well the problem is is the question is how good is your physics compared to what goes on out there. One of the problems we have when we're looking doing these simulations is that the mechanisms at operation in our solar system we as we found other solar or planetary systems they experience a far greater range of dynamical, or dynamical uh, 
motion than what we see in our solar system. And so uh, that implies that we don't have all of the physics put into there yet. And so observations like this will help us make sure that our simulations are more realistic. Um, a simulation is only as good as the realism built into the simulation. And so this will make sure that our simulations are more realistic. Okay, yeah. You, you mentioned that it helps our planetary formation more. Right, and, that, and that's crucial. Uh, you know, I just – you know that that's you work with simulations. You kind of understand yeah. that there are certain areas where we can simulate really well, and there's other areas where we know we're making approximations and we're doing the best we can. But we also mm-hmm. are aware of their limitations. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the other question I have, out of curiosity, although you described uh, the process of how a planet forms, let's say I'm able to get out into space, or anybody is, right. and they're able to watch this process. What are they seeing? You mentioned gas and dust. How does that come together then, and how do you get all the stuff that we have on our planet today from gas and dust? Well, uh, the 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 gas cloud that's going to collapse has dominantly hydrogen and helium because those are the two dominant components of the universe. Uh, but there's also carbon and nitrogen and oxygen and uranium and thorium, and that's especially true if the gas or what c- triggers the gas cloud to collapse is some sort of shock wave from maybe a nearby supernova or something like that that shock wave is also going to bring in heavier elements and so something happens to cause a gravitational instability and the gas cloud starts contracting well the the stuff wants to all fall to the center but to to conserve the angular momentum and when you work out all the physics the first step of that is that there is a bulge that that forms at the center but there's also this disk of material that uh, the disk of material has a lot of the angular momentum left in it and so it keeps it all from falling into a clump and in in order to do that you have to be you know there's certain things that have to happen for the star to collapse and uh, which i'm going to kind of bypass just to kind of get a little bit at what the physics of how the planets form but once the planets form what you need there is in this disk of material stuff has to start growing into larger objects so instead of being dust grains and ice grains and gas something has to happen to start this clumping together and there are a couple of different processes one is that there are sticky things so as ices collide with dust and other ice they tend to stick together Uh, but you can also imagine there's other things going to hit them and that'll break it apart and so you get these two competing effects Um, once something gets large enough um, you know that's kind of a random process as things are floating around they're going to hit things as, as as stuff starts to get larger it now has its own little gravitational influence and will start drawing stuff in from mm-hmm. others and yeah. so again you've got this kind of accumulation once things get big enough larger still you're going to have, start having collisions with larger bodies where they uh, sometimes they break them apart sometimes they form larger ones and then the last stage is where you've got earth size objects mars venus size objects colliding with other earth mars and venus size objects and making the final terrestrial planet that's how terrestrial planet formation ends the gas giants we think all that happens fast enough that you get the large bodies that they can begin attracting all the gas, gravitationally pulling in all the hydrogen and helium around. And so that's mm-hmm. how you get these gas giants like Jupiter and Saturn. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be an Earth-like solid core at the center of Jupiter and Saturn, and then they accumulated the dust or the gas on top of them. So yeah. that's, that's kind of the general picture. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's a lot, of, lot we've done to confirm that that's a good picture. But mm-hmm. again, as we're finding images where we can see this in, in process or see a particular segment of that process, it will help us make sure that we have a a more accurate picture Mm. would you say then as it pertains to the earth's formation that the creator did something special when uh, earth's formation came about or is it just like all the other solar system planets well 
again, as we've looked out and seen planets outside our solar system, what we found is a lot of ways that planets can look different from our solar system. Now, that being said, we're still on the brink of being able to detect our solar system. So take that with a little bit of co- or that caveat. But uh, again, what we're finding is that um, there are certain things, even if we just look within our solar system, of why Earth has the environment it does. It should have a much more dense atmosphere, but it doesn't. And part of the reason for that is that the Moon Collider event probably blew off that primordial atmosphere. Um, Earth obviously orbits out at the right distance so that uh, its average global temperature can support the existence of liquid water given the atmosphere it has. Um, we look at other planets and we see these gas giants that have migrated through and probably would have kicked Earth out if Jupiter had done that. So we are seeing this intriguing set of circumstances that didn't happen here or some things that didn't happen that would have been detrimental to Earth happening, hosting life and other things that if they hadn't happened, Earth wouldn't be able to host life. And so it's that combination of all of those things happening here on Earth and it seems like it's improbable that they're going to happen anywhere else. Mm. And so that's why it does look like, okay, this, this planet was specifically designed. It doesn't seem like a run-of-the-mill planet. Earth doesn't. Yeah. Okay. Great. Cool stuff. Thank you for your uh, comments, Jeff. And you can take a throat lozenge now. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Well, so, and I would just, just for kind of yeah, completeness, you know, we talked about all the, this planet forming out 30 or, you know, 40 to 70 light year or astronomical units away from the star. HD, whatever it is. Huh? Yeah. HD. Uh, well, we gave the call sign yeah. earlier. So, um, you know, I asked him, well, how, how that obviously doesn't compare with our solar system because all of our planets are within that. Well, what you also have to realize is that this star is a star with about 80% more mass than that of the Earth. In fact, I got the characteristics here. It's uh, uh, got, excuse me, got a 65% more mass. It's about eight times, nine times the luminosity, and it's much younger. And so, um, you know, all that's going to happen. That means that things are going to happen further out for the gas giants. And so that's one of the things we found is that uh, you can have stars that are more massive form planets, but they're going to be in a different environment. Uh, you know, you talk about tidal effects and other things. And again, there's things that indicate that our type of sun, the habitable zone is in the right location where those tidal effects aren't detrimental. And so, uh, again, it just kind of adds uh, to the idea that our planet or our solar system is not a run-of-the-mill ordinary solar system out there. All right. Thank you very much. Glad to know that. Uh, if you want to learn more about this topic, go to our website, uh, reasons.org, and on the lower right, you'll see an RTB 101 button. From there, once you click through, you'll find the topic exoplanets. You can brush up on this topic. Thanks for listening for, uh, to this edition of Science News Flash. For Jeff Swearing, this is Joe Aguirre inviting you to join us next time. Come together. This podcast is made possible through the generous gifts of the friends of Reasons to Believe. For more information on how you can support this podcast, go to reasons.org slash donate or call 1-800-482-7836.